You know what's crazy? I'll tell you what's crazy. Taking your kid to college. All week I've been staring at piles of stuff thrown all over the floor. T-shirts stacked next to the couch. A new lamp thrown over by the counter. Towels and sheets just tossed in the bedroom. Socks, underwear, all thrown in the foyer. When are we packing? I ask repeatedly. The snarky 18-year-old rolls his eyes. I'll get to it, he says. Hey, look, man, I gotta know if everything will fit in the back of a Subaru, okay? It'll fit, he says, as if I don't know anything about moving my third kid to college. So after a month of asking the snark if he needs any help, I decide it's easier not to give a damn. If baby Einstein thinks he has it covered, then no need for me to worry about it. Bring on the empty nest, I think to myself. I think back to my transition to adulthood. It was 1981, South Central L.A. I went to USC and never even visited the college before I committed. There was no internet, no simple way to check out the campus. All I had was a glossy brochure. It had a palm tree, a football, and a song girl on the cover. Where do I sign, I said. And when it was time to move, nobody helped me move. I threw all my stuff into the back of my buddy's pickup truck. My dad waved goodbye from the front steps. Adios, he may have screamed, with secret delight, as the moving violation known as his number one son was leaving the nest. And then my friend dumped me at the curb, Trojan Hall, quite possibly the oldest dorm in the history of matriculation. Suddenly, there was a sense of reality. You're not in Kansas anymore, Toto. I looked around. I felt an overwhelming sense of, oh, crap. My buddy dumped me at the corner of Exposition and Figueroa Street, in the middle of a socioeconomic blight that I would quickly come to know as home. It was LAPD choppers lighting up the night sky. It was gunfire crackling in the distance. It was buses churning up smog on hot, sweaty streets that led nowhere good. The year was 1981. MTV still played videos. Mullets were actually acceptable. It was a time before the O.J. Bronco chase, before Kim Kardashian's ass, or the internet. Trojan Hall was a standalone brick bunker on the front line of crime, smog, and the harbor freeway. There were no Walmarts on campus. There was no Amazon that flew you a warm bottle of milk to your dorm room by drone. Not like these mamby-pamby kids have nowadays. As I shake the 1981 memories from my exasperated brain, I look at the floor and everything everywhere. It's now decades later. I'm an old man, and my biological snark, he's heading off to college. He thinks he's the brains of this operation. And me? Well, to him, I'm just this sagacious old man with the checkbook. You ready to go? I say seeing that he's managed to get all of his piles of crap into the back of the Subaru? Yep, he replies like an old man with an inflamed prostate. The car is piled with clothes. They're all stuffed into plastic bags. Loose knickknacks are crammed into crates. I see an Xbox, just waiting for a new IP address. Snark looks at me. His hair's wet from the shower he's just taken. You ready for this journey, college boy? I'm hoping for something profound. Instead, I get, 
Yep. I stare at my progeny, and I wonder if monosyllabic responses are the end result of a generation that talks to one another through a keyboard. As we head out the door, I stare at the laundry room. The doors open. Hey, did you get everything out of the dryer, I ask. The snarky 18-year-old looks at me with a dyspeptic stare. Yeah, he says. His laconic tone sets the mood for what will be a four-hour drive to East Tennessee. The trip down I-40 is uneventful, filled with satellite radio and the Tom Petty channel. The boy snoozes in the back seat, not a care in the world, while I navigate past truckers and dumbasses headed west toward the solar eclipse. We pull into town and get into a long line of cars, slowly puttering up a steep hill toward the freshman dorm. The red bricks of the building are faded. The edifice, ten stories high, it looks more like a place children in the 1950s were told to go and huddle during a nuclear blast. Smiley-faced humans with bright orange shirts meet us at the curb. I roll down the window as the heat of the afternoon invades my personal space. Good morning. Welcome to Carrick Hall, a guide says with alacrity. Yes, sir. We're moving in today, I respond. Okay, park there, he points to the curb, and unload all of your belongings, and then go park your car. I stare at the smiley-faced man. The plan seems lacking. Unload your stuff, and then park your car, I think to myself. For a moment, I ponder pushing everything onto the street and then just driving away. Take that, you snarky bastard. Arrivederci, I think to myself. Okay, I say tepidly as I pull to the curb. We begin piling our items onto the grass. Plastic bags of clothes, a comforter, an Xbox. Is this all of it, I ask? Yep. For one month, I've been telling Snark to go to Target. Get whatever he needs. Go get a lamp. Go get a blanket. Go get a mattress cover. I told him over and over. Every day I'd ask, did you go and get whatever you need? Every day he'd say, not yet. Tick tock. And suddenly, there are no more ticks and no more talks. Suddenly, we're on the front lawn of a decrepit high-rise full of nervous freshmen moving away for the first time in their lives. His pile of crap is his pile of crap. I decide, I don't care. I park the car. On the way back up a steep hill, I realize this campus is bigger than I thought. It's steep, and wherever campus begins and the neighborhood ends, not really apparent to me. There is a Walmart, but it's not close. Suddenly, Snark's constant refrain, if I need something, I'll buy it. That seems a lot less palatable now. You're going to need a bike, I insist for months. No, I won't, he says repeatedly. I laugh. He's going to ask me for a bike. I know he's going to. I pass the K.A. house a few blocks below North Carrick Hall. This house is synonymous with the South and the Civil War. At USC, once a year, the K.A. house seceded from the rest of the fraternity row. It's symbolic of the South seceding from the Union prior to the Civil War. I wonder if they still do that now in a time where everything is judged through a lens of political correctness. The brothers are gathered on their front steps near their cannon. Many of the young men are drinking from red solo cups and watching the flock of incoming freshmen, wide-eyed and nervous. I think back to my days at Delta Chi. I was a savage. The movie Animal House was my Bible. I roof-tested TVs, 
I strung furniture across the facade of the building, using nothing more than some clothes hangers and a garden hose. I chopped apart a pool table with a fire axe. I set it ablaze, simply to lure co-eds to our house. I dumped a trash can full of refuse on my fraternity president and his dates. They were dressed in tuxedos and evening gowns, and they were having cocktails before a gala. I was stupid personified in a world before iPhones and Twitter. As I walked up the steep driveway of the dorm, I thought about the countless memories from my four years in South Central. Still, some of the greatest four years of my life. I sure hope Snark appreciates the voyage that he's about to embark upon, I think to myself. I stare at the freshman monolith before me, Carrick Hall. I will come to learn that it's named after the first UT president. He died in 1809. I'm told that North Carrick is the northern wing of the largest residence hall in the complex and houses 494 men. It has suites, double occupancy, rooms with a semi-private bathroom. It sounds good, but it's still bizarre. You ready, I say, as we carry his trash bags of life toward the building? Yep. There's only two elevators, I say, staring at a line of sweating parents waiting to ride up. Nine flights of stairs? Uh-huh. And with that, we grab everything we can hold and enter the stairwell. I hear echoes of tired souls stomping up steps, levels above me. The stairwell is hot. The stairs steep. Step, 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 landing, turn. Step, 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 landing, turn. Floor two. I stop for a moment. I look up. I can see the end of my life through the tiny visage of metal handrails and concrete stairs. Once again, I have a flashback to the first days on campus as I carried my life into my own new dorm. Only three stories high, Trojan Hall was certainly a test of survival of the fittest. It was a pre-33 building in central L.A. That means it was not earthquake-proof. Eventually, it would need to be retrofitted with a labyrinth of rebar. That would help stabilize it, just in case of the big earthquake that comes through every now and then. But in case of the big one, and if it did happen, well, forget about it anyway. They'd never find you under a billion bricks of death and asbestos. This building had no elevators, no air conditioning. It was a prison cell with two iron bunk beds. There was a neon light stuck to the ceiling. It kept away an army of cockroaches that scurried behind the walls. There was one communal shower and bathroom just down the hall. In Trojan Hall, you quickly learned what your roommate's bathroom habits looked like, smelled like, and sounded like. This was the United States Army with a higher tuition. I remember walking into Trojan Hall and meeting my new roommate for the very first time. Today's youth, they don't have to guess what their new roommate will be like. The internet allows them to go online and pick who they want. It's like fantasy football. It's like a draft. I want a roommate with a 3.5 GPA who likes sports and girls and... Boom, check that box. Click. Kids today don't have to guess. Kids today FaceTime each other months in advance. By the time they move in, they know what color shower curtains each one of them prefers. Back in 1981, it was Let's Make a Deal. It was Monty Hall standing in front of your door making you a deal. And now, behind door number one, your new roommate. You didn't know if you were getting a brand new car or a whoopee cushion. I remember opening the door of the third floor jail cell on my freshman experience, and there he was. He was in bed. He was in bed with a girl. Hey, roomie, 
he shouted with a big smile. His female companion pulled the blanket up to her chin. It was only day two of the move-in. How the hell did this kid from Pittsburgh already have a girlfriend? Here, in bed. I had to figure out where the dining hall was, and this guy already was punching the free love clock. Hey, I said, like this was normal. And so my new life began. A life so unlike the life I had known just some 48 hours earlier. I was now in college, and this was truly the portal to whatever was supposed to happen next. I often sat at the one desk on the third floor of Trojan Hall. I stared out my window. I watched the changing venue of central L.A., accentuated by dreamy palm trees and the steamy asphalt of Figueroa Boulevard. I remember a guard shack below my window and the constant whine of the wooden gate that lowered and raised a hundred times a day, allowing faculty to park in the lot. I remember the sound of big rigs on the harbor freeway off in the distance. I remember the omnipresent glow of the 50-foot-tall Felix the Cat neon sign. That marked the location of a massive used car dealership. It was almost directly in front of my window. In 1981, you moved yourself to college. You didn't have a big party of parents tucking you in for the last time. It was collegiate boot camp. It's almost 40 years later and now I find myself on the ninth floor. I'm sweating like an old man who needs a heart transplant. I look at Snark. He too's panting like a puppy that needs a bowl of water to slurp. Good luck with these stairs every goddamn day, I say, not caring who's listening. We enter the hallway. It reminds me of Trojan Hall. It's small and filled with bags and boxes and metallic bedposts. It's cramped and has the smell of a million keg parties gone bad. Room 939 is at the end of the hall. We get to the open door and we see parents in both rooms of the four-man suite. They're building bunk beds and hanging posters and hooking up flat-screen TVs. I quickly surmise that nobody is having sex. I laugh as I walk in and shake the hands of the other three sets of parents. I like Snark's new bunkie. As fate would have it, this kid also is from Pittsburgh. Wow, what are the odds of that? I give Snark a hug and walk out of the room. I see an 18-year-old now on his own, surrounded by another kid's parents and his life stuffed into trash bags. I'll call him in a few days and decide how he's doing then. Did he wet his bed? Is he homesick? Does he even remember my name? On the way home, I get a text. Hey, Dad, when you get home, can you pull my clothes out of the dryer and mail them to me? I laugh out loud, dumbass, I type, and that's why life's crazy.